you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Last Sunday's sermon, I made the point that in his teaching, Jesus most often engages the law, the Torah, in an improvisational way. He does not simply set the ancient law aside, but rather engages it in a way not unlike a great jazz musician takes a familiar tune, a standard, and makes from it something new, all the while never losing sight of the heart of the original melody. Now here tonight, we watch as Jesus does precisely that. This is a section of the Sermon on the Mount. And he takes a series of four different laws drawn from the Torah. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Divorce is only permissible according to a formula. And you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. He takes those four commandments and engages them, improvising with them not by providing loopholes or softer readings of the ancient laws, Mm, no, no, but in fact he intensifies them. And he does it by using the strongest of language and imagery, as you have just heard. Take, for instance, the law regarding murder. He said, you have heard it said, of those ancient times you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Angry. If you get angry, well, people do get angry even with a brother or a sister. And sometimes they are rightly angry. So what are we supposed to do with that, with that anger? Reconcile it, Jesus says. When you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar And go, first be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come back and offer your gift. Now, N.T. Wright points out that there is something almost comic in this picture, in that Jesus is teaching up in Galilee, while sacrifices can only be offered in Jerusalem. That's a good three days' walk. So there you are in the temple for your yearly visit, standing with your lamb or your turtle doves or whatever, and suddenly you remember that you've got that outstanding grudge with old Bill, your neighbor back home in Capernaum. So what? You're to leave the bleating lamb right there at the Jerusalem altar, trudge three days home to make peace with Bill, and trudge three days back to finish the sacrifice. It is wonderfully absurd, and at the same time, 
brilliantly witty, as a way to express to that audience just how important it is to build reconciliation, friendship, and community with those with whom we may be in conflict. Then he turns to the matter of adultery. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, we need first of all to note that this teaching is clearly aimed at the men in the crowd, which is something that will again be an issue in the teaching that follows. For now, let's just do a little improvisational take on the text together and acknowledge that it isn't just men that get themselves off the rails. Hear it in this way instead. I say to you that any one of you who looks at another person lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. Looking with desire is, is, is bad? Just like anger, isn't it sometimes part of the human condition? Now what? Well, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Oh, Lord, in your mercy. I appreciate, though, what N.T. Wright has to say here. Plucking out eyes and cutting off hands are deliberate exaggerations like leaving an animal for a week at the altar while you go off to be reconciled. But they make the point very forcibly. And that point is? Well, here I would defer to the insight of the biblical scholar Eric Barreto, who comments, what matters most here is not behavior, but relationality. An objectifying gaze is an obstacle to authentic community precisely because such a gaze treats the other not as a child of God, a bearer of God's image, but as a mere object. Which is what is happening when someone stares at someone else's body, their body, not their whole self, but just their body with that kind of raw desire, kind of authentic desire, which is eros, that can so draw one person to another in a real and true and intimate relationship, that's different, entirely different, because it doesn't turn the beloved into an object. Jesus isn't moralizing about sex here. He's calling for it to be more human. Don't objectify the other. And then he turns to the matter of divorce. And once again, we find that its starting point is most definitely a male perspective. He says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But... I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, 
except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, the Torah does include a provision for divorce. At another point, Jesus says that this was allowed only due to the hardness of the human heart. But even in the Torah, it was something that only the man could initiate. And here, Jesus challenges that provision, insisting that his listeners acknowledge that it isn't so simple a thing as just breaking a contract, delivering the right certificate. The divorce actually impacts people, real people. It did then in those times, and it does now. For all that one can come through a a process of confession and forgiveness, struggle and resolution, healing and restoration, there is still in that break in the relationship a fracturing and a wounding. Healing, yes, but scar tissue remains. It is just true. It impacts us. The impact on women in the world into which Jesus spoke was even more intense. In that world, a married woman was financially dependent on her husband and considered all but property. If her husband gave her that certificate of divorce, and in Deuteronomy it says he could do that, quote, because he finds something objectionable about her, he was not only taking away her financial security, but also condemning her to a place of shame and vulnerability within the community. Biblical scholar Carla Works insists that this be recognized as a reality of that context. The divorce made women vulnerable, dearly vulnerable in that way. Then works goes on to link the teachings on anger and adultery and divorce to the closing teaching Jesus offers on oaths. Jesus said, again, you've heard it said, Of those in ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. It goes on a little bit, and he famously concludes this section by saying, let your word be yes, Yes or no, no. Anything more comes from the evil one. Jesus, comments Carla Works. Jesus wants his disciples to be people of integrity. People who are faithful to their promises. People who have no need to swear that they are telling the truth because they are truth-tellers. They should be people who honor their commitments in marriage and who respect the commitments of others. The women in their midst are not people to be used and abandoned at will, but fellow disciples. They are among the ones who are now 
blessed by God's reign. And we are all among the ones blessed by God's reign. As we watch Jesus improvisationally engage the old teachings, deepen them, press them, intensify them, make them even difficult to hear, we must recognize that it is all for the sake of creating us as a people of integrity. And one whose professed beliefs, our words, are matched by our real and lived commitments. And when we stumble and fall, as surely we all will, we are called to get back up on our feet, to hear again this challenge, this call from the Sermon on the Mount. You are salt of the earth. You are light of the world. Now wipe the dirt from your knees and be that. Hard as the words were to hear as they were being read aloud, this is good news. The good news, according to St. Matthew, delivered us this night. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.